Tonight we're in the book of Ezra. Ezra is a um, really interesting book. It's not a very long book. It's only 10 chapters. And so if you want to turn there tonight, uh, there's a few places I'll read. And then as you're turning there, you get a chance, maybe put a marker there and go with me over to the uh, book of Psalms also. So, excuse me, Psalm chapter 137. So as we saw last week, when we went through um, Second Chronicles, we'll pick back up on this, on this today, uh, tonight. But when we ended Second Chronicles, it ended with Israel, or excuse me, with Judah, the southern kingdom, which was the tribes of Benjamin and Judah together. They had, um, they had went into captivity. Uh, they gone into captivity to Babylon. And Babylon is modern-day Iraq area, as far as on your map goes. And they uh, went to uh, captivity roughly about six, uh, 606 B.C., roughly somewhere in there. And um, we mentioned a little bit last week about some of the other um, books from the uh, Old Testament that tie in with it, and one of which, of course, is Ezra. And we'll be uh, in Ezra here in just a moment. We'll also be looking at Psalm 137. But as we make our way uh, into this tonight and studying, we'll pick up on uh, really tying back into the end of Second Chronicles. And so there are 10 chapters in the, the book of, I left Second Chronicles, I was supposed to see Ezra. There's my mistake. Uh, you know those things you used to find in the newspaper where you'd go through and you'd find a mistake, you'd pick it, you'd find out which one it is. And um, you, if you could find it or the little spot somewhere, if you could find it, you want a prize. Um, I don't know if I want to give prizes because there'll be one every week. But anyway, that should be Ezra. So um, the one word that describes the book of Ezra, of course, is return. Because during that time of captivity in Babylon, um, they were getting to a point where Babylon actually was about to lose its world power to Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And so um, they, uh, the, key, the, the key word is return, and there are 10 chapters in it. And so at this time... Uh, put a little pin here because we're going to tie together also tonight the books of Ezra and the next book, Nehemiah. These happen about the same time or within a, within a decade or two of each other. They overlap. So some of the Jews returned to Jerusalem, uh, probably from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Some of them were from other tribes too, as we'll see. But about 50,000 probably uh, returned and come back after the captivity in Babylon, or as it was ending. So with that in mind, because of Babylon, uh, that's where they were in captivity. Go with me to Psalm 137, not a very lengthy psalm. But remember, and look, try to look at this tonight as we study Ezra. We looked at it last week from the viewpoint of the last kings. We talked about them as we, as we talked about you know, the closing of Second Chronicles and about how they were going into captivity uh, due to you know, many, many decades and decades of... Uh, idolatry, and we talked about the different kings in Judah that some of them were good and tried to bring them out of idolatry, and then yet they'd go right back into it. And so they went into captivity. Look with me in Psalm 137, and this was written while they were in Babylon. And so imagine, the, as you read this, you can kind of get a little feel of the emotion, of the thoughts that probably were going through their head while they were in Babylon as they longed to come back to Israel, come back to Jerusalem particularly. Uh, verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. That's uh, another name for Jerusalem. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. In other words, they didn't want to play or sing any music. For they that carried us away captive uh, required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And of course, that was in, in jest as they said that. Uh, they're there in Babylon and 
uh, and Jesse would say, "Sing us. Let's, let's hear your songs that you sing. Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If, it, if I do not remember me, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Boy, they wanted to go back bad. Verse 7, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it. Now that R-A-S-E, that raise is not like push it up. It's like cut it down as in razor, like cutting something and, and lowering and, and, and uh, demolishing it. Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. In other words, the enemy came in and wanted, you know, just destroyed everything. Verse 8, O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stone. So what they're saying is, you brought us into captivity, but God is going to bring judgment upon you. And as you read through uh, later on in, in some of the other prophets, the, the, um, some of the other uh, prophet, what we call the minor prophets in the Old Testament, God declares that very thing. He was going to bring judgment to them. So um, on one hand, God allows them to go into captivity, but then because of the way Babylon treated God's people, God brought back retribution upon them. So had they treated them right and done right by them, um, it, their, their punishment wouldn't have been bad, but uh, because of the way they treated them. So uh, as we'll see, though, in just a moment, it's kind of strange, but actually there were some people who did well in Babylon, and they didn't want to leave and come back. Things were good there, and they probably had nice houses and all that kind of stuff, and they didn't want to leave and come back to Jerusalem and leave Babylon, strangely enough. But anyway, we'll get, we'll get to that in a moment. So our timeline... Roughly uh, a number of years, probably 60 to 70 years. Now the asterisk is there because um, different writers have different times uh, on these dates. And as we talk about Nehemiah next week, just to put a little pin in that, in fact, as we talk about Nehemiah next week, we'll find out that actually Nehemiah, even though it's the book after Ezra, he actually comes back to Jerusalem before much of this occurs. And I don't want to confuse you with that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we'll see a little bit about that, a little bit about that later. So roughly about 520 B.C. to 420 B.C. roughly is the date of, uh, of the timeline of the book of, of Ezra. So a quick breakdown, just two very simple sections. And it's easy to break it down this way because chapters 1 to 6 is where many of them go back. They leave Babylon and they go back to Jerusalem under a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was actually the descendant of one of the kings um, over Judah, and he was, uh, he was not able to take the throne, but he's what we would, might, would call a, a, like a, a statesman. He, he was one that um, he kind of, uh, even though he was not a king, his family, I guess, carried a little clout, had a little importance, and so he used it in the right way, and he wanted to help uh, the... Um, the, the um, the children of Israel that were going back uh, from the southern tribes, the southern kingdom to come back to Jerusalem. And so in chapters 1 to 6, they return under this man named Zerubbabel. And so actually Ezra, even though this book is named after Ezra, he doesn't even show up until chapter 7. Um, and so uh, chapter 7 to 10, it shows his life and ministry, and we'll get to that a little bit more in just a few moments, of course. So what happens is, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to write down this reference and maybe go back to it. Um, Babylon is a world power about 606 B.C. And uh, you remember the name Nebuchadnezzar from the story of Daniel and uh, the, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. You remember that. Nebuchadnezzar was, was the emperor, the king over Babylon. 
And so they were in, um, they were in captivity to Babylon. But while uh, the time when many of them stay in Babylon, Persia then takes over as the world power. Again, Persia is modern-day Iran. Babylon is modern-day about where Iraq is located. So um, Persia becomes a world power. And the, the two verses, or excuse me, two chapters that tie in with that are from Daniel chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 6. So when we get to Daniel in the weeks ahead, we will uh, reflect back on this a little bit and talk about that. So what we ended with last week in 2 Chronicles, at the very end, uh, verse, uh, verse 23, chapter 36 and verse 23, talked about from Cyrus, the king of Persia, who made a decree for those, um, uh, those of, of the, uh, especially of the southern kingdom of the Benjamin of Judah, to go back. To, to the land, go back to Jerusalem. So pick up at Ezra 1, verse 1 to 3, and you see almost the same words here. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and that's exactly who we, we ended with in Second Chronicles, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. So there's another prophet, and when we get to the book of Jeremiah, we'll come back and tie this in together too. Uh, mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and to put it also in writing saying, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? This is pretty much a repeat of the end of second Chronicles there. His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. So Cyrus, though he may have been a, a foreign and a, and a, a pagan king, he, um, we don't know whether he actually believed on the Lord you know, personally, but we do know that he at least honored God and for who he was and who, who he was to Israel, what he meant to them. And so he says, go back to the land, go back and build uh, in the land, um, build again. And so uh, God used a, um, a foreign king to tell them to go back to the land. Uh, if you remember uh, maybe a little bit from history about back in the, uh, I'm trying to get the year 19, was it 17, 14, 17, the Balfour Declaration, um, where at that time, the last king of England, um, they made a declaration for Israel to go back to the land. And so um, they made that declaration. They had the land uh, as, we, as we see it on the map now, for Israel. So two kings in history have told Israel, go back to your land, go back. Cyrus was the one there in the Old Testament. And so that's the final commandment in Second Chronicles, and that's the beginning of the book of Ezra. So that, that ties these books together. So when you get to uh, chapter 1, he makes that proclamation. Go over to Jeremiah, if you will, for a moment. Jeremiah chapter 29. We mentioned him, and like I said, when we get to Jeremiah, we'll, we'll uh, go a little further into this. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and verse 11. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon. So that's what Ezra 1, when it said, according to Jeremiah the prophet, this is the verse right here. Um, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. So the prophecy was done, you know, given by Jeremiah and, and the king of Persia, he had, you know, good sense enough to know that. And he told them to return, return to this place. Verse 11, very familiar verse that people quote a lot of times, but 
You have to be careful not to take this out of context. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So uh, Jeremiah, uh, God through Jeremiah told them, go back. My thoughts to you are for peace. I want you to go back to the land. I want to give you the expected end. The word end there doesn't mean like end, like end of life or end of what It means the final outcome is that I want you to go back to the land where you belong. Then um, just for, uh, we, we, won't, we won't turn there tonight. We'll get to it next week. But just as a side note, put a pin in this. Nehemiah, starting at chapter 1, verse 1, goes all the way through chapter 6 and verse 9 before the book of Ezra begins to take place. Um, and then Ezra verse chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And so Nehemiah, what he did, as we'll get to this next week just real quick, what Nehemiah did, he had a burden the Lord laid on his heart to go back to Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah was in Persia when this happened, and he, he had a, a burden for them to go back to Jerusalem and to go back and build the city, to build the walls, to build the, the gates, and rebuild the city. And so by the time he comes back to do that, and Ezra comes on the scene, then Ezra is there to help to get the um, temple rebuilt also. So um, they begin, though, it's kind of, it's kind of a, uh, it kind of goes back and forth, Nehemiah and, and Ezra. So we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. So chapter 2, they return under that man. I told you his name was Zerubbabel. He was a descendant of one of the kings. They reclaim their genealogy, and there are a lot of names in chapter 2. So we certainly won't, won't read it down through a lot of that tonight. It takes a while to read through all those names. Read through their, uh, they, they reclaim their genealogy. And then there is also a man that works alongside with Zerubbabel. Remember, he's, again, he's not a king. He's not, he's, he's kind of a, a, what you call a statesman. But right uh, next, working side by side with him is a guy named, it looks like Joshua, but it's an E, Jeshua, the high priest of, of um, at the time for, as they come back to, to Jerusalem. He is the high priest. And so, um, Zerubbabel and Jeshua work hard together to the thing they wanted to do. They wanted to rebuild the temple, but before that, they rebuilt the altar first for sacrifices. We'll see that in a moment. You get to chapter three when they rebuild the temple. They build the altar. And they keep some of the keep some of the feasts there that were commanded, and then they begin to prepare for the temple. And it's built a little bit later. You get into chapter four, and then King, King Artaxerxes. Uh, uh, another one of the uh, another pagan king. He wants them to stop the building. Uh, when you get to uh, chapter four, pick up at verse one of chapter four, and we're going to read a little bit of this chapter. This is to me is probably the most interesting chapter in the book because here we see where uh, it's similar to when Nehemiah comes to build, and some of the enemies from without come and try to stop him. Very same thing happens here towards Zerubbabel and uh, Jeshua. Look at um, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children um, of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of um, Esaradon, king of Assur, which brought us, or Asher, you want to put an H in there, which brought us up hither. No, not at all. <laughs> These were enemies coming in. What they wanted to do, we can't stop them. Let's infiltrate them. Let's act like we're working with them. And rather than do that, 
uh, actually work with them. We're going to start working against them, but we're going to tell them that we're on their side. Verse 3, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief, the fathers of Israel. And remember they had, they had went through the genealogy and they found out you know, what families, who, who belonged with who as they got the city ready to rebuild. Uh, said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, king of Persia, hath commanded us. In other words, they come back and tell them, Look, um, you're, really, you're not part of, of who we are and what we're doing, and we have, you know, we have been told, we've been commanded by the king of Persia. Cyrus said that we can and need to come back and rebuild the city. Verse 4, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So that's exactly what they set out to do. They wanted to uh, infiltrate and, and uh, act like they were working with them. Verse 5, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so that other that name Darius, you see, it comes up also in the book of Daniel. So there's a time period where the enemy who can't um, successfully stop them by infiltrating, and yet the building stops due to the fact they um, they had become discouraged. But it was just it was too hard for them to try to. Um, to, to, to try to, to go against the opposition, so they just stop. Verse after King Ahasuerus uh, told him to stop. Verse six: In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So these people from the outside wanted to um, get a, uh, another king to get on their side, so to speak, to, to stop them. Um, and then you read down through the rest of it. And if, they, if that didn't work, they were going to try to slander them. So for time's sake, we won't read the rest of the chapter. But you see where, as you read through there, they did everything they could. The enemies from the outside. So here, God's people, they had disobeyed God. They went into captivity. Now there's some of those who had been in captivity or their parents had. And now they're like, we want to get back things back right with our God. We want to go back and try to reestablish our city. We want to go back and rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. We want to go back and restore worship and honor the true and living God. And in doing that, there was opposition uh, in more, you know, several ways they tried to oppose them and try to stop it. So that to me is a, it's really kind of the hinges on the, the whole book hinges on that where they do stop them for a while, but then later on they do start back to build. So when you get back, uh, get under King Darius or Darius, however you want to pronounce that. Um, he uh, tells them, no, you start back. Chapter 5, then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah, who's also a prophet, the son of Iddo, Ido, or Ido, however you want to pronounce that, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, then Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them that were prophets of God, helping them. So there's a period of time that it stopped, but then it started back. Now, if you hold your place, and we're going to go to your right, to um, the very last book in our Old Testament, that's Zechariah, and right before it, a couple of books, there is, or one book, excuse me, is a, is a book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, then the book after it is Zechariah, which is the last book in the Old Testament, or not the last, it's the next to last, it's right before um, Malachi, I'm sorry. So you're right towards the end. Haggai chapter 1, look at verse 1 to 4. 
in the second year of Darius the king. So it was a little time had went by, a year or two had gone by, and Darius steps in and says, no, I want you to rebuild this. In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel. So see, this ties back into Ezra, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, uh, it's also Jehoshua. There's two. It's the same person. He just it's spelled different in, in this book, but it's the same person. It's not the Joshua that was with Moses, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, "Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, the time has not come, um, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O you, to dwell." Uh, in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. In other words, they had their own houses. They built their own places, but um, the work of God's house stopped. He's like, is it right? This isn't right. You need to be back building, um, focusing on getting God's house built, His temple built. Uh, Zechariah chapter 1, right next door. Verse 1 to 6. The eighth month, the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. So that's a reference to the ones who kept disobeying, and then they went into captivity. Verse 5, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? In other words, the prophets did their job. While they were here, they said what God told them to say, and they didn't heed it. Verse 6, but my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath, so hath he dealt with us. So those two prophets, it's recorded in their books that they wrote. These two, what we call minor prophets, told them, look, you, you need to get on the ball. You started and then you, then you quit and then you started building your own houses. You need to build God's house and um, God's temple and uh, you know, set your priority back on doing that. So um, King Darius, Darius made the decree. And then when you go to chapter 6, he actually... Um, finds the title deed, so to speak. When you read chapter 6, verse 1 to 12, um, he puts the effort, and uh, those serving under him, I'm sure, put the effort into looking and finding and saying, look, this is, this is a, a title deed. This is in writing. It, you know, Jerusalem belongs to them. They need to go back to their land. They need to go back to, to their city. They need to go back and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Then chapter 7 Ezra comes on the scene, and uh, verse 1 mentions him, uh, and then it goes through a little bit of genealogy there for a few verses um, and, and mentions Ezra. Look at verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So Ezra, we'll move back up. Uh, they return under Ezra. Uh, probably about 60 years later uh, after chapter 1 begins. And then there's renewal under Ezra. And you look in chapter 9 and 10, you'll see where um, revival comes back to the town. And uh, they had to do it by Ezra basically um, basically preaching to him, to, saying, look, you've been disobeying God. You need to get things right with him. And then they, and then they do. So he was a priest and a scribe. 
Um, we know what a priest was. Priests offer up sacrifices and so forth. And we, we already saw that earlier um, the, uh, the priest Yeshua, also spelled Joshua, was a priest at the time. But Ezra was a priest, but he was also a scribe. Uh, a scribe means that um, they wrote down God's law. So a priest, of course, had to come from the tribe of Levi. Um, that was the priestly tribe. Uh, and then some of them were also scribes. Uh, you see in the word to transcribe or transcriber, he would transcribe the Old Testament law. He would write it and, and, and uh, copy it, basically. Um, the word scribe, very similar to the word script or scripture, uh, it means to, um, to, to, um, to take you know, what is written and copy it off. A very, um, well, they probably do it all on computer these days, but when you, um, if you get a prescription from a dentist or a doctor and uh, it's written out, you take it to the, um, to, the, uh, uh, to the pharmacy to get them to fill it. It's a prescription. You see that word, S-C-R-I-P-T, is right there in it. It's, it's written down and copied down, and they know what to do with, uh, for that particular medicine or whatever they're, they're going to, uh, uh, when, they, when they fill that uh, prescription. So scribe would write down the Old Testament law. And so from what we know, we, we, we can tell Ezra, even though those first seven chapters, he wasn't even on the scene, um, he likely wrote the book, of, uh, the book of Ezra. He's likely the human author of the book of Ezra. So in chapter 7, there's cooperation finally from King Artaxerxes, the one that wanted, to, uh, go, that wanted them to stop building. And remember, uh, King Darius said, no, you need to start back. Ezra begins to gather families and priests, and he collects money. He's a good preacher, wasn't he? Uh, began to collect money, and then he um, had a time of prayer and fasting for them as, as God's people. He wanted to get them back focused on what they needed to, uh, what they were supposed to be doing, and so he gathered them all by families together. And then when he reads through um, and finds out through the uh, genealogies, he realizes that some of the people have have disobeyed God. And they hadn't, they hadn't uh, obeyed him even when they came back to the land. Um, and some of them had married you know, wives of the heathen, uh, of the other nations around, some of the very nations that wanted to stop building the, the city and wanted to stop building the temple. And so uh, he begins to, in chapter 9, he intercedes, he prays for the people. Now remember, he's a priest. And so he prayed for the people, for um, the people that had come back to Jerusalem. He prayed for them. And when you read through that prayer, you'll see how he confesses before God, we have disobeyed you. Um, we have, we have uh, went against your commandments. We've disobeyed you. We've not put you, given you the right place where you deserve. And so he intercedes and prays for the people. And then in chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 10, you see where they are convicted uh, of, of their wrongdoing, of their sin, and then they get that right with God. They put away their sin. Uh, and chapter 10 ends with that. So as we go through this on our GPS, roughly about 460 um, B.C. or 460-something, because there was a period of time that went by. Um, Nehemiah had his burden, and then Ezra began his ministry several years later. So alternate routes, the book of Nehemiah, and we already saw and, and read from two of them, the book of Haggai the prophet and the book of Zechariah the prophet. I didn't include Jeremiah. Um, we'll we'll uh, look at him a little bit when we, we get to his book. But actually... Jeremiah, uh, he went into captivity into Babylon with them. He did not come back whenever they were, uh, likely had already died or maybe been martyred uh, for his faith before they returned to Jerusalem. Uh, but yet God gave him that prophecy 
that, you know, at the end of that 70 years, that they would go back to the land. So the book of Haggai the prophet, the book of Zechariah the prophet tie in, as well as the book of Nehemiah, and that's next week. So Ezra 3, chapter 3, verse 2, talks about the offerings of the altar in Jerusalem. If you go back to that, you'll see where um, it mentions the offerings just in, uh, it says they're just as Moses commanded. Uh, chapter 3, verse 2, Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So uh, you don't have to turn there, but the, the reference for that is Exodus 20, verse 24 and 25 is what he's uh, talking about. So again, we see how God's word ties in uh, books, you know, from, uh, from previous books, and, uh, and, and it, it shows how... Um, even if the person, of course, in Moses' case had died, how God ties together all that history, ties together uh, the things they had written and puts it together in Scripture, makes a, you know, the beautiful weaving that we have of God's Word um, as He includes these things with it. So they went back and they offered burnt offerings. But notice again, as I mentioned already, um, they built the altar, and they built it before the temple was built, where they could at least go back to the sacrifices and honor God as He should be. Then chapter 4, verse 24, we saw that a moment ago, uh, was from Haggai, uh, chapter 1. And chapter 4 says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased into the second year of the reign of, of Darius, king of Persia. So um, there was a time, again, where it stopped. We mentioned that a while ago. And then in chapter 5, when King Darius comes on the scene, he tells them, no, let's start it back. So that was what was referred to in Haggai. He said, why'd you stop? You're building, and then all of a sudden you stop. Now you're building your own houses, and you're not taking care of God's, um, of God's house first. So, of course, it was written to Israel, or really it'd be more, uh, be more correct to say Judah, but it was written to them after the divided kingdom and the captivity, when they were returning back. And we read the psalm a while ago while, where they said, you know, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We can't worship our God in, the, in Babylon. They, take, they took us into captivity. How can we worship here? So their heart's cry was to go back, many of them, and they did. So they had returned to Judah, though, particularly Bethlehem and Jerusalem, before the Messiah could be born there. Now, many years before that, during the time of the other kings that we talked about in the last few weeks, Isaiah in chapter 7 said, A virgin shall conceive and, and shall bear a son, and his name shall be, um, be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible tells us the very city. It says Bethlehem of Ephrata, which is Bethlehem right there in, in, the, uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah. So they had to come back uh, and return so that many centuries later, the Messiah could be born. Jesus could be born. So we see how it ties in together uh, and, and God brings his people back so that could happen. Though God chastises his children... He is more than willing to restore us. That's one of the traffic jams, one of the potholes here. This is a lesson we see all through Scripture, and certainly it's true here for the children of Judah that had gone into captivity. Um, he chastised them because their forefathers before them and before them and before them kept going into idolatry. They kept, kept um, rejecting God. They kept uh, worshiping the false idols, false gods. But yet he's more than willing to restore us. Um, another great example of this is all through Scripture's prodigal son. When the son was decided, I want to go home, the father was ready for him to come home before he even, before he even got home. 
He was there waiting for him, and I'm sure he ran toward him when the prodigal son came home. Um, after we stray, things may not be as good as they were or could have been, but it, you know, when we come back, uh, God will always bless that. Look at chapter 3. Here's something interesting about the, uh, about the, uh, the temple once it was rebuilt. And again, this is reflected further on in the book of Nehemiah. We'll see uh, more about this later. Look at chapter 3. It talks about the uh, temple being rebuilt. They had already built back the uh, altar. And look at verse, um, pick up at verse, uh, pick up verse 10. And then we'll read actually down through verse 13, but verse 12 is the key. And when the builders, verse 10, laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals. Now, uh, those are the, the ones that um, were uh, played the, the instruments, and, and uh, some of them were singers during worship. To praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks to the Lord because he's good. For his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They finally we're, we're, we're building the temple, and the foundation was put down, verse 10, I mean verse 12. But many of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, the first temple, before it was destroyed, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Those that had seen the first temple and the glory of it and the beauty of it, they wept when they saw this temple being built, probably with mixed emotions. Those who shouted for joy were the generation that didn't see that first temple, um, yet they shouted for joy the temple was being built. So those that were older, they saw the other temple. They saw what it was like. And then probably as they looked at it, their, their, their tears flowed because they realized that temple was destroyed. Because king after king after king allowed God's people to go into idolatry. And they disobeyed God. And we had to go into captivity for God to get us back where we need to be. And so there were tears in their eyes, probably mixed emotions. The sadness and sorrow on one hand. And yet the beauty and the joy of this new temple. And so it said that you couldn't discern the two. The sound of the rejoicing and the sound of the, the weeping. Uh, because it was so loud. They were, they were praising and celebrating, glorifying God because the temple was rebuilt. But after we stray in our life, sometimes things not, may not be as good as they were or could have been, but yet we can thank God that like the prodigal son, God will bring us back uh, to himself. Now the Lord always has a remnant of believers in every age. He always has someone who will serve him, someone who will obey him and follow him. It may be as few as Noah and his family. Or it may be as many as these multitude, these numbers that came back uh, to Babylon. But he always has his remnant that will serve him and live for him in every age, no matter how bad times get. Um, and so he always has his remnant. The Lord works through pagan kings. Proverbs 20 and verse, 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So God used uh, a king from the outside, a pagan king, to uh, tell them, go back. Go back to the city, uh, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And then when the opposition came, took another king to say, you need to go back. You were starting, now you need to finish this and rebuild. The Lord always blesses those who put him first. And Ezra did that. Uh, that was one of the, the um, outstanding characteristics of his life. He, he served the Lord and put him first. And Matthew 6.33 certainly applies, seek you first 
the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Ezra was prepared ahead of time. Uh, look at chapter 7 and verse 6. As he had just uh, come on the scene of this chapter, first mention is in uh, verse 1, but look with me at verse number 6. Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of his God upon him. So he, um, whenever the king gave word and put it in print, he had, he had that... Um, had that commandment to go and to, to take care of it and do it, he was prepared ahead of time. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 says, Be instant in season, out of season. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to be ready to give an answer to, to every man of the hope that lies within us. So he was prepared ahead of time. Jesus in the book of Ezra, in chapter 5 and verse 8, it mentions the beautiful stones that were, were placed in the, uh, in the building of the temple. Verse 8 says, Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judea, to the house of God, which is built with great stones, and timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on and prospereth in their hand. The Bible tells us that uh, Jesus is a living stone. He is our chief cornerstone in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 through verse number 6. So those, those stones are symbolic or give us a picture of our Savior that He is our cornerstone. And then in chapter 9, verse 1 to 5, is when Ezra's praying for the people, and he's interceding for them, he's praying for them, and he's even confessing their sin for them to God. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, verse four, six, in chapter 4, verse 16, that Jesus is our great high priest, that he's praying for us and interceding. So a few of the verses for a home address, um, chapter 6, verse 22, uh, talks about when they were building, uh, how the Lord had made them joyful. Uh, when they were, they were um, uh, working, serving him. Then chapter 7, verse 10, we just saw where he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Um, that's found also in chapter 7, verse 10. And then several times, chapter 7, verse 9, and three times in chapter 8, verse 18, verse 22, and verse 31, talk about the hand of our God upon us. Ezra knew that God's hand was on him because he was doing uh, what God would have him to do for his people. And then, he's, then something interesting is said in, in his prayer in chapter 9 where he's confessing and says this um, in verse 13. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds, talking about you know, the generations past and all the idolatry for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserve. That's mercy. God is merciful to all of us. He, he withholds what he really could um, if, we, if, you know, if he wanted to. Uh, we deserve His wrath. We don't deserve His mercy or His grace. But mercy is when He withholds um, his, his punishment, His judgment. And Ezra said that, he's, uh, that He visited less than iniquities deserve. So God is good and, and God holds back. And He's merciful even when we may think He is. He certainly is. All right, let's stop there for tonight. Any questions or anything before we close on Ezra tonight? Yes, ma'am. So our Bible, the way we have it in, in order, it's in categories, right? It's in kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. like history. History, right. Uh -huh. So <clears throat> the Jewish people, their Old Testament is not in that order. Yeah, I had mentioned this last week. And what I'll try to do is get a list next week for you if I can, or, or whenever we go into Nehemiah in the near future, hopefully. Um, I'll try to get a list of how their books are set up in the Hebrew Old Testament. They have the same number of Old Testament books, 39, just like we have. But 
the last book they have, ours we have Malachi. The last book they have of their 39 books is Second Chronicles. So as I was saying earlier, in Ezra chapter 1, it begins with where Second Chronicles leaves off. And the very last verse in their Old Testament, which they don't have a New Testament, the very last verse in, in their Bible, the Old Testament, the order of books, is to go back. Go back to the land. Go back to the land. That's a commandment given to them that they need to go back, go back to Jerusalem, and that ends their Old Testament. So if a, if a Jew was really serious about reading the Old Testament, what God had to say, as he got to the end of their Old Testament, they might want to say, no, I need to look into that. God says we need to go back to Jerusalem. And then, of course, there will be a time when, um, after the rapture of the church, when the Lord deals again with Israel. And when he does, many of them will be back in the land yet in unbelief. And so, um, so that, yeah, that is the last one. Theirs is in chronological order? Is theirs in chronological order? Uh, probably, you'd have to say, yeah, theirs is probably in chronological order. Even though Ezra's out of place, because it takes place after that, um, it, it is in there. It didn't mean, yes, ma'am. Tiffany. Sorry. That's okay. You gotta, in the beginning, I, I know I wrote this right, but it didn't say Jerusalem chapter 1, one through 4. What's what now? I didn't. It, it was Jerusalem. Talking about when you saw it. Oh, so you probably Oh, oh, I just put chapter 1, verse 1 for Ezra. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me back that up. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, I think I do. Yeah, it's, yeah Jerusalem, not, the book, not as a book, but it's... Um, I'll get to it. Yeah, return to Jerusalem in Ezra chapter one. I should have. I think I ran out of space, and that's why I just put one. Yeah, yeah. Return to Jerusalem. That's chapter one of Ezra, verse one to four, and then Jeremiah twenty nine, verse ten to eleven. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I ran out of space, and that's what happened. So, thank you. You spotted number two. That's good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Anything else we'll close? <laughs> There is no book of Jerusalem, Barry. That's good. Okay. Anything else? All right. Let's stand close in prayer and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for tonight, the time to gather together and open your word. Uh, Lord, it's just exciting to see your hand in history and your hand in how you work through men like Ezra and, and uh, the, uh, uh, Zerubbabel and, and um, Jeshua, the others there. You worked to get your people back to where they needed to be. And we thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we learned from that. We thank you that it's not just a, a lot of dates or uh, it's, it's, there's, there's practical lessons from it. We thank you for that as we, as we learn that and grow in grace and knowledge of your son. Pray that you watch over us and keep us safe as we leave from here tonight, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.